With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two with the bases loaded and one out. Oh, oh my God! Deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Grand slam. Hello and welcome in everyone to episode 185 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host Mike Curland, joined as always by my compadre, mi amigo, my dear friend George. You can follow him on Twitter at roto underscore nino. George, you can unmute yourself now because I muted you to start this intro. Or not. Come on, we can figure this out. Here you go. Unmute. I got to unmute you. There you go. Okay, oh, there we Here's go. Here's the unmute. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, George? What's up, man? I like having control. I can just shut you off. Even though I'm the one that needs the off button, the off switch, uh, I can just like mute, unmute. Oh, man. It's a beautiful, what, Wednesday morning, I think? My kid is feeling yeah, better. Up, up early. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice for you to be up early. Yeah, you're up early and I'm up at a normal time because i'm on the east coast time here on west coast for you it's barely sunrise for me it's almost lunch um but yeah, yeah man, i haven't even had my coffee yet so i'm still kind of waking up over here <laughs> yeah, nothing like breakfast and baseball right yeah that's but we're talking first base as we go through our positional rankings this year or this early off season and i mean i should probably pull up the nfbc adp data because last time i didn't like how the last episode went i, I looked back a little bit i'm like meh not only was the analysis like i just i lacked energy and I feel like it wasn't as as clean as it could be, and it's not going to be clean this way as I ramble on, but I'm going to go ahead and pull up the ADP data for Draft Champions League since December 1st, and we're going to go off the data, talk about our preferences, guys we're higher on, lower on, focusing on the top 20, maybe a few names after that that we like as well, and that's pretty much it, but before we get started, got to do some uh, some of the plugging stuff. Don't forget to check us out over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash GTE Fantasy. We have rankings live. We have a whole bunch of articles going up. Spring training lineup chart is going to be behind the paywall this year. I hate to do it, but I feel like it is what it is, to be honest. So I'm putting it behind I'm putting it behind the paywall this year. Not to mention all the in-season. Uh, I do three to four weekly lineup write-ups for those that are into the lineup analysis. So all that and more. George's relief pitcher ranks. He has a relief pitcher chart in the works. He's an update throughout the whole year. He also has his write-ups coming up. Uh, Mike SP Streamer has his uh, lineup stuff. Bubba DFS and Deep League content right now. There's a whole lot of stuff we have going on. That's just some of it. Uh, what else we have? Yeah. We, we also have Underdog. Don't forget to use promo code GTE if you're a first time if you first time deposit matched up to $100. So GTE is the promo code there. We're actually about to get into some of those uh, Underdog best balls as a group and play against listeners and such. And yeah, actually, that was actually the first thing I did this morning. I woke up because uh, I, I was up too early. I, I just couldn't get back to sleep. I'm like, you know what? Let me just jump into one of these uh, underdog best balls. Did you really just knocked one out. I did. Yeah. <laughs> How was yeah, it? So seriously? I, that, uh, it was fun. I mean, 20 picks, 30 second clock. So, I mean, you can knock it out in um, maybe an hour if you're just like sitting stream. at home. We're gonna have to live stream yeah, some of these. Yeah, we could totally well, live stream one. We can all, you know, get into one one uh, in the lobby there and, and live stream it. Um, but yeah, maybe about an hour or so, and uh, 
you know, you, you got to pay attention to the, the point scoring there. Um, you know, I, I, I actually had the first pick and uh, it was pretty obvious, like Aaron Judge is the first pick there. You get like three points for a walk, 10 for a homer. Um, I think the same three points for a hit and so on. So uh, this I, goes I back to like uh, this goes back to knowing or, your format, you know, just know your format. Yeah, and know your exactly. Score. But the fun thing about these is that you literally just draft and you're done. Like that's what, and it's and the price point mm-hmm. five bucks is like on the lower end what you can get into, right? There's like five dollar leagues, I believe. So yeah. yep. that's kind of where I'm like, it's super intriguing because the price point is there for trying something new, and you draft and forget it. And for me, I've been very vocal about giving up fab leagues, and it's because I am doing more best ball, and that's why underdog was it was like perfect timing to partner with them because I'm going to start doing these best ball leagues and stick with those draft champions leagues in. in uh, in NFBC. So that's where mm-hmm. I'm at personally. I'll even do some best balls at NFBC, but that's kind of the route I'm going. And if you're a busy person like me and just like to kind of draft, you'd love draft season, but in season management's really tough because of one reason or another. Best balls and DCs are your best friend. DCs keep you engaged in terms of keeping up with what's happening, player, you know, performance wise and streamers and all that, because you have to plug and play based on your bench and who's hot, who's cold, uh, injuries, etc. So that still keeps me fully involved in who's like running hot and fab and all that and helping people with waiver wire. But in terms of just enjoying the draft process and trying to just kind of maximize how many drafts I can have while minimizing the amount of management, that's where best balls come into play. And that's why underdog is where I was happy to kind of, like I said, the partnership was great timing and I'm going to be jumping full force into those as well. And you already have, so you beat me to it. It's a lot of fun. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, anytime you could draft a team and not have to worry about managing, it's kind of a fun thing. And I know it sounds like I'm trying to sell, upsell here, and maybe a little bit I am, but I really am truly excited to get involved in it. Yeah, um, absolutely, man. Drafting is the best part. Drafting is <laughs> the, the best part of, of fantasy baseball, right? Uh, you, you mean August? Time, you mean so. you mean paying attention in August <laughs> isn't fun? Man, it is such a grind. By August, I'm usually burnt out, you know? And that's because of oh, all the man. content. So because of all the content, that's why I'm like, no more fab leagues. That way I can still focus on yeah. giving content, try to be more consistent with even the podcast because we've been, we haven't been consistent for like a year and a half plus now. On this. So I'm trying to be more consistent with the content because I really enjoy this aspect of it. And playing is still fun, but the fact that I've found this enjoyment in in the content is what drives me towards like giving up some of the player side of things to be a better content. And that's why don't forget to check out the YouTube where I have two sleeper videos, a breakout video dropping tomorrow. I'm going to get that audio onto these onto here. So you'll be able to hear them if you aren't into YouTube, but it's youtube.com slash at GTE fantasy. They allow, they actually have usernames now and stuff. So it's weird. So if you check out the YouTube channel, it's also linked in the bio, the description of this channel as well, as well as the description also has linked the, um, the Patreon, our Twitter handles, all that good stuff. So I think I'm done plugging. Let's get into the first base stuff. Uh, at the top here, per ADP, you have Guerrero, Vlad, Vladdy, Freeman, Pete Alonzo, Goldie. I marked those four names because I kind of had them in their own tier right now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i seeing a lot of Alonzo over Guerrero, and I want to talk about that first before we talk about Freeman and kind of the, and Goldie and all that. So what do you think about Alonzo over Guerrero, or do you think it's kind of like, are you okay with this? Or this order right now where are you at uh i mean i think i'm fine with the the order um i think i'm probably because you ha- you have to take um guerrero in the first round i i mean i don't know i'm i'm passing on him in the first round not yeah. that it's a it's a bad pick or that you can't build a team uh, around him there but yeah I, I mean i'm still looking for i'm still looking for speed there um in the first round, if I'm going to, I, I mean, because I think like power is going down across the board, I'm more open now than I was before to take a slugger like early, like in the first or second round. Um, I'm just not sure Garo is going to be that guy. Like I would, I'd probably take like Jordan if I'm going to take someone um, like in that 11, 12, 13 range. Um, if I'm going to take like a, a zero speed and Garo did, like, he, he did steal uh, some bases last year. Um, not sure like how sticky that's going to be, uh, but I wouldn't really count on it. So if I'm going to take like someone that I'm not going to count on speed for, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at like, uh, at Alvarez or, um, maybe looking at like getting third base at the end of the first round or something with, uh, Machado or yeah, I, he's just not been, hasn't been someone that, uh, that I've been targeting there. Now, if you're now Alonzo, he has that range. Like I'm looking in the last 30 30 days on uh, NFBC draft champions ADP he has a range from 16 to 29. Um, and so I, I think I may be a little more open to taking um, Alonso if I'm getting him in that mid to late uh, second round range. Um, just because like I said, I think this year, 
probably more than than in recent years, like having one of those top sluggers that are capable of hitting you 40 homers um, is probably going to be a little bit more of an advantage than it has been um, in the last several seasons. So I'm more open to it this year. Um, so just like at the price, uh, if I'm able to get like a five category stud in the in the middle of the first, a Kyle Tucker or uh, s- someone like that, uh, then uh, I-, I don't mind coming back around and, and getting a Pete Alonzo. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. I think in terms of price, I'm with you. I can't. I'm not. I'm not. I don't prefer to build around a Vlad. Now I have seen. I think it was Bob, big, uh, big, big Bob over there, the main event champion, who actually drafted a Vlad Jordan one two combo because Vlad fell, I believe, to the second, like mid second or something. That's a price I can get behind for sure. And, I, and I'm not even really opposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even really opposed to Guerrero's price. It's just a preference on how like the build and Pete Alonso fits that better, just because I think it's comparable. And you're getting them at a cheaper price. That's all it is, is finding like, okay, it's very valuable or very similar, but you're getting at cheaper price. But I just, I don't know, because it's weird with P. Alonzo, because, okay, so you have with P. Alonzo, you have the third straight year of improved strikeout rate and second straight season of a sub 20% K rate. So you're getting constant, steady improvements. He hit 40 home runs and back-to-back seasons with 37 home runs. So you know the power's legit. Second straight season of hitting at least 262 because, again, he's making improvements in the contact rates and the batting average has gone up. He hit over 270 last year. I think it was 271 last year. We know he elevates the ball well, allows the power to play. And again, third straight season of improved swing and strike rates and contact rates go hand in hand, essentially. So what I'm getting at is do we, what, where I'm concerned or where I don't know, was last year kind of what we should expect moving forward? Should we expect this trying to continue should he keep getting better or did we see the best and that's kind of where he's at now which where alonzo is at if that's who he is fantastic the issue is is i see people projecting growth because he's had growth to this point what are the i just feel like it's hard to continue projecting that growth versus just assuming he sustains where he's at which again sustaining where he's at is still a very good player alonzo i'm talking about here it's just one of those things that it's just one of those things where do we keep I'm having a hard time projecting it continuing, even though he's done it for three straight years. You don't continue. Like, it has to stop somewhere. You know what I mean? It you don't just continue and continue on until you stop. You usually hit a certain spot and you stay there for a few years in your prime. And then you kind of decline unless you're unless you're Paul Goldschmidt, apparently. But but you get my point, though. It's And Freddie Freeman, these you guys, are, these guys are the exceptions to the rule. As they get older, they seem to have sustained this highest level of production. But Pilonzo, just I, I don't know if I'm, I'm I'm having a hard time projecting him continuing. I like his price point, I really do. But I just I don't know. I'm I'm a little skeptical, and it's hard. It's weird. Like, why should I be skeptical when he's showing year over year improvements? I just don't know if the improvements stopped last year. Like, if last year was kind of like, okay, this is who he is now. But this is like the ce- not the quite you know the, not the ceiling. Ceiling is a bad word here. But this is kind of like okay, he's this player. Expecting more is kind of unfair, is what I'm is what I'm thinking. Because yeah. how many players are going to hit 40 and 270 in a year, and how many players are going to do better than that the next year? I, I think we're setting him up for failure if we're expecting better, and that's fine to expect better or to hope for better. But I think expecting last year in terms of his floor is probably the way to go, and that's still again a very high floor. So the argument of Pilonzo over Vlad easily can see that in terms of just straight up overall picking these players between one another. What keeps me on the Vlad train over Pete is just, I feel like the floor is really high, but we saw his ceiling be even higher than Pilonzo's. I think Pilonzo has a similar ceiling. Yeah. I think Pilonzo does have a similar ceiling, but you can argue Pilonzo has a higher floor right now because Vlad's ground ball regression is just constantly an issue. But we've also seen Vlad hit close to 40 or over 40 while hitting with for a better batting average. And obviously the counting stats are all the same, really. Um, so it's like more or less I'm betting on that ceiling, knowing that the floor is similarly high for Vlad. And that's why I still keep Vlad over him. But in terms of building a team, you hit the nail on the head. Like, give me the guy who's cheaper here, really. Because the skill sets aren't enough of a difference for me to be like arguing <laughs> like, OK, well, I'm, I'm, I want Vlad because no, just give me the cheaper player. And in this case, it's P. Alonzo. Uh Freddie Freeman, though, talking about Freddie Freeman. Other than dip in power to production, which, again, still had a very strong power metrics. I don't know what to really expect here. He also had 13 stolen bases out of 16 attempts, but now with the new rules and the bigger bases, maybe he continues to steal 10 bases. It's just weird to think of Freddie Freeman stealing bases, but he stole 13. That's not like happenstance. You don't do that on accident. You know, it's double digits. So um, all these considered, I feel like he's just kind of the same solid, safe floor. Just maybe expect mid twenties home runs instead of 30 plus. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I, um, looking at like you mentioned his uh power metrics i mean he hit 52 barrels um 
had 57 barrels last year. So it's like, you know, right there, right in line, 55 barrels in 2019. And uh, it, but he went from 31 homers to 21 homers. So, I mean, you know, he did Ballpark, get a bit maybe? unlucky there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too sure. I have to because well, the Braves. Uh, just because I know the Braves ballpark is no. Like, I'm not a huge ballpark factor guy. I can't tell you off the top of my head, but I just know the Braves ballpark is known to be a better hitters park, at least from what I've heard and seen on Twitter, than the Dodgers. So we'd have. I'd have to double check that. But yeah, it's one of those things. That, that's one thing I think of is all things being equal, ballpark is the only major change from one year to the other. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I would expect you know a few more home runs um, than 21. Uh, I, I think you know Steamer has him for 25 homers. Um, I think that's pretty fair to expect. So, yeah, and you mentioned the rule change with the with the bases. Maybe he can continue to, um, you know, get you know right around maybe ten steals. So, which is, which I is think, sneaky valuable from a first baseman. Yeah, he's he's a, a rock solid like foundational first baseman. So, can we talk about the old man Paul Goldschmidt and uh, how he's thirty five years old but still has like some of the strongest plate discipline? Great production mm-hmm. in terms of like runs in RBI because of the lineup spot he's in. We saw. We saw uh, Bush Stadium play up last year, I, probably because the humidor and all the changes that have happened, that maybe that park is now better. It used to be like one of the worst parks for power um, up until like last year. So not sure if it was a fluke, if the humidors are having effect. There's a lot that goes into that. But we also know he has chip and speed, stole seven bases. And a fun fact is he hasn't been caught stealing since like 2019. He's like 20 for 20 over the last three. Now, one year he only stole one base, but still pretty fun. I thought it was a fun fact. I'm like, oh, he hasn't been, he hasn't stole he hasn't been caught stealing since 2019. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of who he is now. He's hit 394 better over the last three years with uh, three hitting over 302 of those three. I don't know why there's like, he's going fourth amongst first basemen. And I feel like if you're talking about value and getting a guy late, like he's a guy who can hit close, not quite the power of Pilonzo or Vlad, but he's very Freddie Freeman-like. And yeah, there's a little more, you know, concern given the age and the fact that he does have a little more swing and miss to his game. But he, I think it's more of a passive thing regardless um goldie yeah going forward do you think the age catches up to him finally um i'm not gonna count on that this year i I think he's i mean yeah i I, (laughs) it's hard right it's hard to to project something like that um i yeah i'm i'm not gonna count on on a a steep decline and uh suddenly hitting them this this next year and i i think really you could probably make an argument for um any one of these four as your top first baseman uh, I think we have, yeah, we have them uh, the same in our in our rankings. We do have Vlad number one in, in our in our rankings, um, followed by Freeman, Goldschmidt, and and Alonzo. And I think it goes to like what you were saying with Alonzo's like floor. You know, you're gonna get like um, those 40 homers, and uh, yeah, I think between a 260, 270 average. Uh, and then we just see like the ceiling with the other three with uh, Vlad, Freddie, and, and Goldschmidt kind of all being able to chip in some speed and, and having that uh, batting average upside that, uh, that Alonzo doesn't have. And so, yeah, that's another thing to consider when you, when we're talking about like rule changes, like if batting average is going to be up across the board, like um, maybe it is a better idea to, to go like, you know, keep up and, and uh, establish that batting average as well. So yeah, I, I think this is a good solid tier here. Personally, um, it hasn't been, this this range hasn't been where I'm getting a first baseman. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you can really go wrong in um in a team build with any of these. I just think it's funny that we see so much discourse arguing nitpicking is probably the better word. Just people nitpicking their preferences and really holding true. Like, well, I'm gonna like plant and they plant their flags on these players. I know like John Legaza, big big Johnny L, one of our one of my favorite people. By the way, I love talking to that guy. Um, he's very he's been on this. Well, to be to be to be fair, he was being crapped on for this take a year ago. So now he I feel like he holds on to it as almost like a it's like a like, look at this, like look at this patch on my on my shoulder. You know, like I got this I, I got this award for calling it a year early, which good for him. It was actually a really good call. I think that and he, he sat there and took the beating the whole offseason. And Alonzo was fantastic. So he has every right to still be waving that victory flag. I just think it's funny, though, because people feel the need to argue over these. Like, it's just like pick your preference. I feel like that there's a reason why you should be t- drafting based on tiers anyway, in terms of like what and skills, obviously buckets and tiers. Like if you want a certain skill set and you value these players similarly, just pick which one you like to build your team around. It shouldn't be such an argument. Of, and it shouldn't be such a big deal if you don't agree with consensus. Like Vlad being number one for us, just because we agree with consensus doesn't mean First off, it doesn't mean we're going to be right. But secondly, it's we're taught we're nitpicking here. These are I, I, again, I mean, you have them ranked first and won't ever take them because of where he goes in drafts. Most of I, it's like I said, majority of the time now, format matters. Um, 
if I wanted, I, I will try. I mean, I don't, I'm not against trying a team build with Vlad because I do think there's some solid speed options, but we lost one like in story. And I don't know if you want to talk about that. We forgot to even mention the whole story being out half a year and my crushed, my crushed spirits and soul behind being, being in on them early. Um, but yeah, you, you get my point <laughs> yeah, though. It's, uh, it's drafting Vlad early isn't a detriment. Drafting Alonzo early won't be a detriment to your team. These are guys that you can build around, but you just have to make sure you build around them. That's all it is. Right. So like, I, and I, it's something I'm doing more this year than I did last year because I did get burned by having like a lot of exposure to similar players, like in the top 100 to 150. Um, where like, yeah, I, I had a lot of Jess Chisholm, um, I had a lot of Jonathan India, guys like that. Uh, where it's like, you know, these guys going in the top. 100 150 you know your first 10 rounds or so like they're all they're all good players it's, it's why they're going so high um and there's a lot of different ways to build a teams um a lot of different ways to win uh and it, it what matters in the end is just getting those stats that you need and so what i'm doing more this year than i have in the past is trying to diversify a bit and, and trying different uh, team builds so yeah if i if i take someone like uh vlad at the end of the first then it's it just means that I've got like a Randy Rosarena in my queue, Andres Jimenez in my queue, um, you know, down the line. So guys like that that I'm I'm trying to target a little more to to supplement that speed. Um, whereas, yeah, you could start the first round with a uh, Kyle Tucker or Bobby Witt or you know what have you, and then and then it's like oh. I'm looking at Vinny P. I'm looking at Jose Abreu. It, it, you know, it just depends on how you start, where you find the values of uh, the pockets of value at the different positions um, going forward uh, based on the stats that you need. So yeah, a lot of different ways. And it's just Vlad in the first round hasn't been something that I've, I've tried yet. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I still plan on doing maybe a handful more uh, uh, DCs. And so we'll see where my picks land there. And I don't know, maybe I'll give it a shot. Vlad or Freeman, any one of those guys that get the one, two turn. So the next three on this list are Matt Olson, Vinny P and Jose Breu. You kind of mentioned them already. These are the next guys after the big four. And you and I have them ranked. We have our top seven. We're in lockstep together. We have the same seven picks in the same seven, same order. We both have Matt Olson fifth. And I think what keeps, at least what keeps him out of the top four for me is pretty much what I perceive to be a lower batting average floor. But I do think we're in for an improvement there. I know you're, I know you've been doing your homework on this type of stuff. So I'll let you talk about Matt Olson here. Yeah, I, I think, um, I think he's going to be someone that probably benefits from the shift a little bit. I'm not sure how, like, I, I wouldn't say that, that suddenly he's going to, you know, get into like the Pete Alonzo um, range. I mean, he's capable. We saw it last year. He did. He basically did what, what Pete did this year with the 271 and, and 39 homers. Um, but he is someone that, that would have, uh, that will benefit from the shift. I mean, just from the, the pure like volume, like he, I think only, yeah, so only um, Kyle Schwarber saw more shifts last year than than Matt Olsen, just on a volume basis. Um, Olsen saw the second most pitches um, with the shift in place. And so, uh, yeah, being being a left-handed hitter, uh, no, he is still very much like fly ball heavy. And so that's where you will see like the BABIP is, is still going to remain kind of low because he does um, hit a lot of fly balls. And so we see, we typically do see a lower BABIP with um, that kind of profile. Um, but I, I do think that he'll add, like, you know, maybe gets back into that 260, 265 range. Um, so there is some upside there with for the batting average with with Olsen. Um, and, and I think he's, you know, pretty safe bet for mid-30s homers uh, with, with some upside for more. You know, he's in one of the best uh, lineups, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, I think he's just really solid there, too. Yeah, you mentioned it. I wanted. I figured you would mention the shift stuff. I know you did a lot of homework on the shift stuff, and that was kind of the main reasoning why I have him – like fifth because i feel like although i agree i don't think he's gonna live up to that batting average that the other guys ahead of him are but that's the only thing that's holding him back from being there but then the argument becomes is he just a expensive version of reese hoskins if he only hits 250 so that's where it's like well like <laughs> like like obviously i think the ceiling we know he i think he hit with like 270 a couple years back so we know the ceiling is a little higher than that but still it's the point of I guess technically like the floor or like, I guess maybe that's the floor. Maybe that's why he is where he's at because we know the floor is Reese Hoskins and Reese Hoskins has to stay healthy to be Reese Hoskins. So that's part of the issue. But yeah, I, I do like Olsen there. We both have a Bray U6 and Vinny P7, even though ADP has it flipped. I, are you buying into the power resurgence now that he's in, in Houston, likely in the middle of that lineup? And I think I saw somewhere that the White Sox in general actually 
they actually were like the hitting coach had them hitting to contact more than trying to produce power. And I believe that that's, that makes sense considering the metrics were all there for a break. still, the product, it just wasn't, there was no power production, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you pretty much, you pretty much said, it. I mean, the, 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 the metrics were all there still uh, consistent uh, barrel rate right around 10% had 47 barrels this year, um, this last year compared to 44 the year before just, you know, but his home run cut, rate cut in half. I mean, 30 homers to 15 homers, uh, being a right-handed hitter there now in Houston, uh, he, he's got the Crawford boxes there to left field um, to take advantage of. So yeah, I could definitely see the power coming back up. And with that power coming up in that lineup, uh, he's probably going to return to, you know, being one of the better RBI producers uh, going to score a good amount of runs in that lineup. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love just from a cost perspective, like this is where I'm now looking at first base because I think he's just such an incredible value where he's going. I'm just looking at the last 30, 30 days in draft champions. He's going at 93. I mean, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take that all day. I love Abreu at this price. That's for sure. Just to hit on those Abreu power metrics, just so people understand like how good they were. I don't want to like just say they were great and leave it at that. We're talking 89th percentile max exit velocity, 97th percentile hard hit rate, 96th percentile X Woba, which isn't just power, but you get my point. It's just really good. And then a 92nd percentile X slug. These were above some of his actual performances. And I do think that we'll see him convert that into more power production on a better team in a, in a solid ballpark. And that's why I'm really in. And at that cost, I really like him as the fallback. And again, he's this is kind of the area I like to live in. If I can get Jose Abreu, it's great. If I can get Vinny P because he's the next guy on this list for us at seven. And again, we have Abreu above him. But Vinny P, we saw the raw power potential, 87th percentile max exit velocity. Again, another guy that is just really solid max exit velocity type. And the reason why I like max exit velocity as a screenshot to power potential. The thing is, is people often, and people as in players, <laughs> often hit the ball harder into the ground. So max exit velocity doesn't necessarily mean they're going to hit home runs. It's just an indicator of power potential, in my opinion. And I know people don't really like that stat. I look at it as a quick snapshot to overall raw power potential. It, like Hosmer has a decent uh, max exit velocity for reference, but he also has, he's also what I call a ground ball merchant. He just, <laughs> that's all he does. He just wheels and deals in the ground ball game. But anyway, back to Vinny P. Eric Hosmer's on this top 20. I apologize for even bringing him up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Vinny P had a 46.7% hard hit rate. He's going to hit in the middle of the order. He also, But the big thing here is that power potential that he has while, while flashing a 92% zone contact rate. That is like among mm -hmm. the elite type of hitters. So you can have that type of hit tool with that type of power upside. There could be growing pains in his, second, in his first full season. But ultimately, we're talking about a guy where he's going, he can easily be in the conversation in the top three, four next year. That's the type of upside I see Vinny P having, considering the skill set that we're seeing under the hood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I love Vinny P. I, I just, I mean, he had more walks and strikeouts last year. When you could do that and make as much contact as he does, as much hard contact as he does, I mean, <laughs> it's that's, that's some elite skills right there. Um, absolutely love Vinny P. The only concern with him, and because in, initially I had him over Abreu um, before Abreu moved to to Houston. Uh, the only concern with him there is is that lineup. Um, you, you look at that Kansas City lineup, and he, if he's hitting cleanup, he's he's hitting behind Bobby Witt, uh, Sal Perez, um, and Jay Melendez possibly leading off. But I mean, Bobby Witt and and, and Perez, I mean, they don't walk very much. Um, they both have some batting average downside. So how often are they going to be on base in front of him? Um, and outside of maybe Melendez, um, no one else in that lineup really can project for, you know, having a strong OBP. He's going to have right now, roster resource has him um, hitting in front of Alberto Mondesi, Edward Olivares, Drew Waters, Michael A. Taylor. So the, I think the runs and RBI are, are uh, a bit in question, um, but where he's going uh, again if, I, if i'm drafting for for the cost I, I think it's perfectly fine he's going 95 um overall over at the uh, nfbc draft champions uh, league so yeah for the cost I, I i don't mind it at all i will take i would still take a brady over him and i do have a brady over him in my rankings but um i, I think i think pasquantino he's just a like can be an elite hitter like you said top four or five potential yeah the counting stats are the tiebreaker here I do think the power upside is here. So if you want power 
take him over Brayu because I think Brayu, although he has it, I just don't know if he has that type of ceiling as a Pasquantino. While they both have very strong plate discipline, so I would take the upside gamble on Pasquantino over Brayu in certain situations or circumstances, depending on how I t- build my team out. But the higher floor and obviously the uh, the track record is in favor of Brayu. Not to mention lineup and line- and all that. So there are again we're nitpicking here. Now this is where I get kind of. I'm not even sure I'm comfortable with Nate Lowe at eight, but we, again, Nathaniel Lowe at eight is consensus. I, I hate how much I'm with consensus. This like the first 12, 13 picks, but I feel like that's normal, unfortunately. Uh, but Nathaniel Lowe, I, I, I'm, I, there's parts of it I'm in on. There's things I'm like, I'm not sure what to believe. Where are you at with him? Yeah. Um, I don't mind him right behind those guys, too. Um, just looking at, at his ADP, he's right at uh, 109, so going just a little bit after. And and I do have him next in my rankings just because I think he presents, like, the next best, like, just solid all-around uh, skill set. He'll chip in a couple uh, steals, um, decent batting average, good power. Now, he is going to see some regression. He's not going to hit for a 363 <laughs> BABIP again. Um so he is he's definitely going to see some regression there. He overperformed a bit um in in both the the batting average and the the slugging percentage. So there is going to be some regression, but I think he's just going to be just an all-around solid hitter, you know, 20 20 to 25 homers, a couple steals and a solid batting average. I, I think he's he's one of these last of uh, that'll just give you some good all-around production. So I don't I don't mind low where where he's going. I just I look at it like you mentioned the BABIP was notable in terms of Mm-hmm. the what you should expect for the decline but it was like in the second half it was like over 400 and the second half for uh for low was he mm-hmm. hit 339 339 399 566 like ridiculous with a 415 moba 176 wrc plus 226 iso all huge numbers uh there were some increases in the second half for low he had a barrel he had increases in the barrel rate increases in the hard hit rate and made a whole lot of contact while sustaining similar swing rates so we saw him overall last year we saw nathaniel low be more aggressive he improved the k rate in the process so a change in approach helped him and we always talk about low being a guy that was too passive that was his thing back in the race the race he was just too passive we saw we see it with it we see it with uh what's his face josh low we see we were seeing the same thing it's just they need to be more aggressive and it looks like nathaniel Lowe finally you know turned into that his first pitch swing rate increased last year along with the overall swing rate um he improved the ground balls as well increased the pull rate so he's he's still pulling you know 62 percent of balls ground balls he's still pulling his pull ground ball rate is still 62% base. So mm-hmm. there is a little bit of issue there, but the home run fly ball percentage was like huge to the pull side. So whenever he elevates it to the pull side, it's going a long way. So there's give and take there. So obviously you, but the fact that he's pulling the ball that much and there's no more shift and he hits the ball as hard as he does. You gotta like Nate Lowe's potential for a decent batting average. So that's why it's like, I'm with you. I, I mentioned all these good things. It's just one of those things where I don't know how much of it's going to carry over because it's such a small sample. We're talking about a half of a season of all these like notable changes and stuff. So Nathaniel Lowe, I think, offers that. I, I do believe I'm with you. He offers a kind of like a batting average floor that the other guys don't uh, right behind him with a, with with good enough power potential, even if it doesn't fully carry over. So it's like I like him. I'm just I think I'm just apprehensive because how how much is that Babbitt decreasing? How much mm-hmm. is that Babbitt when that Babbitt de- decreases? How much does the do the overall numbers regress? Now the team continues to get better around him and all that too so hopefully that helps maybe jung steps up this year and all that so we'll see what happens i'm not out i just i think what it is i like these options behind them that i i feel like are known commodities more that might mm-hmm. not have that batting average floor but i also like where you can get these guys a little later than low about you know 20 picks on average later so it's like another round later i can kind of wait on first base and get one of these guys like reese hoskins and a guy that's going apparently really late that i'm high on here i found finally a guy that i'm higher on than consensus mm-hmm. And Anthony Rizzo, but uh, we both are anyway. Yeah. Uh, so Nathaniel is kind of the end of this like four category upside type of tier, and then we kind of get into these power guys. Um, it's kind of like a mixed bag here. Yeah, Reese Hoskins, I feel like we don't have to talk about Reese Hoskins, you know what he is. Great OBP guy. So if you play yeah. OBP leagues, OBP, he's like a top five, six first baseman OBP. Um, so you know what he is 30 home runs, 100 RB, 100, uh, probably close to like 180 RBIs and runs combined, depending on where he's at in the order. Could bat second to start, or towards the middle of the lineup, I should say, to start the year because Harper's out. Trey Turner's going to bat towards the top, Schwarber towards the top. So there's great lineup protection, great RBI potential, great run potential. It's you, you know what you're getting there. Rizzo, we saw him miss time and still hit 30 home runs in 130 games last year. 32 home runs, actually. So it's kind of the same profile, but now with the banning of the shift, the shift wasn't necessarily an issue for him. I just feel like with his pull ball approach, anytime 
you uh, get rid of the shift for a lefty that gets shifted on at least mm -hmm. 77% of the time. I feel like that's going to help him, even though the numbers didn't necessarily indicate that it would help so much, at least the Woba numbers. I remember them being rather similar. But we're talking about a, such a big shift rate that I have a hard time believing that he won't be just better in general from, yeah. from being with that pole approach for Rizzo. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I have this group kind of all bunched together, mm -hmm. too. The, these next four um, kind of similar profiles with Hoskins, CJ Krohn, uh, Anthony Rizzo, Christian Walker, Ryan Mountcastle, Rowdy Telez. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, I'm just like, you know, waiting for, you know, one, one of the cheaper options there because um, I, I think they're all, you know, very similar profiles. Um, you mentioned with, with Hoskins, I do have them. In, we, we do both have them at the top of that tier. And it's just that, you know, you know, like you said, you know what you're going to get. Um, another guy who was shifted on a lot. Uh, I'm not sure how much is going to help him, but maybe if it adds just a few a few ticks, his, his batting average won't hurt. But it's also, yeah, hitting second uh, in a really good lineup. You mentioned Rizzo. Yeah, so what I did, uh, I, I wrote up an article uh, for the GTE Patreon um, looking at the shift statistics. And uh, what I did is I, I looked at the last three years and, and took the the overall BABIP uh, for the pulled ground balls. Um, it was right around 220 um, on uh, the BABIP of pulled ground balls uh, without a shift. Uh, and so if we literally just apply that 220 BABIP on pulled ground balls to Anthony Rizzo um, without the shift, he would have hit 243 last year. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> he, he would have added about nine more hits and hit 243 um, instead of the uh, 224 that, that he did hit. So, yeah, I think he is gonna, definitely going to benefit a bit from the shift. And um, the great, great park for him, good, good lineup. So, yeah, I, I, I like Rizzo. Um, like I said, a lot of these guys, similar profiles, uh, CJ Crone, Christian Walker, uh, a lot of times I'm just uh, mixing and matching. Like, again, like I uh, go back to kind of diversifying. And so if it makes sense for my team build, uh, this is this is where I'm, I'm attacking that, um, you know, getting some some power here. And it's a great spot, it's a great range um, and a good position to um, to supplement some power uh, at this point in the draft where, where these guys are at. They're going from, let's see, Hoskins is going at 128 and down to like Rowdy at 175, anywhere in there. I, I need a, a 30 home run uh, power bat. I'm, I'm taking um, any one of these guys. Uh, I do have, let's see, yeah, Hoskins and then Crone. Um, where are you on Crone? I, I worry about like ha just having the time to manage the whole, you know, home and away thing with Crone. Um, I haven't found myself taking him yet. Where yeah, where do you stand on that? So I'm I'm I was out initially, like I had him lower and I moved him up recently because I kind of looked I dove a little deeper and he's still kind of the, just the same guy. Like Crone on in a down year, I would say down because only 29 home runs and hitting just 257, and it took a career high three 632 play appearances to get there. But if you look at his splits last year, it was weird. Um, he had a 695 OPS versus lefties last year that really hindered his overall line when he's a career. Um, like a, it was like a career 800 something OPS. It was weird. I, I thought I wrote it down. I guess I did not. I wrote considering his yeah. career blank versus left-handed pitching. I forgot to write down the number of my notes, but it's my point. I guess my point was how much better over the career he's been against lefties. Well, and he hit like 280 last year against righties. So maybe there's going to be some regression both ways. I think he is just a safe, solid bet. And I feel like having cores as your home park, 97th percentile max exit velocity, a double digit barrel rate, sub 40% ground ball rate. The thing was, is he also pulled the ball 34.9% of the time compared to at least 40% the last five seasons uh, prior. So we're talking about like a weird, almost like a weird approach change, or maybe he just took what the pitchers gave him, but less, he pulled the ball less than ever, or at least less than recent history by long shot, still has the good quality contact and still hits the ball hard and expected improvement against lefties. I don't see why we should be out on him. I think he's getting dinged unfairly in a sense. And he's but we dinged by us more than general consensus because he's going 10th in ADP and we had him lower. And I think it's because it was just so lackluster. And then when you actually dig in, you realize, oh, him going 10th overall in ADP, maybe we were too low and maybe we need to be closer to consensus. That's how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, it's like you probably going to get the most out of him if you take a first baseman later that you could play like when he's on the road. Um, Cause if you look at that, those home and away splits, 22 homers and a 302 average at home, 
seven homers and a 214 average away. And like you said, he was um, he's typically been a lot better against lefties. So I, I do expect that to come up as well. Um, so, I mean, he's still a fine, like, kind of set it and forget it. If you want to just take the season end numbers, um, they're probably going to be, you know, maybe around two, 260, 270 um, with the, you know, close to 30 homers and, and a good amount of um, RBI. Uh, but, yeah, for me, it's just been like, oh, man, I want to take Crone, but I don't know if I want to really manage that. I can take Walker. Though, I can take Walker yeah. 15 picks later, like next round. Exactly. Later. Yeah, yeah. I could take Walker. I could take Rowdy. Rizzo, Rizzo falls. And I think that's what it is, is I find myself mm-hmm. looking at Rizzo and Telez in the same bucket as Crone, and they both fall beyond Crone. I actually, and you and I, again, we're both higher than consensus on Rizzo. You are more in line. And we're not too far off consensus about on Crone. It's just that we're so much higher on Rizzo than consensus that I tend to let Crone go knowing I can get Rizzo. And I, I, I view them very similarly. Both have injury mm-hmm. risk. Both have 30 plus home run upside. <laughs> both, both kind of. If uh, I guess Crone has the better floor in terms of batting average, but I don't know. I feel like Riz. I feel like Rizzo has more power ceiling considering that approach with Yankee Stadium, and we saw him do it last year. Uh, that's where I'm at, and that's why I feel like I don't get any Crone. But I want to talk about this real quick because uh, speaking of Johnny L, he dropped this in the DM group that we're in that about the the outfield wall changes. Center field for uh, for uh, Comerica. Center field's moving in 10 feet. Center center field wall lowers from 8.5 feet to 7 feet. Right field right center field wall lowers from 13 feet to 7 feet. And right field wall lowers from 8.5 feet to 7 feet. So we're getting lower walls and center field moving in 10 feet, where we all know how center field crushed a lot, crushes wow. hitters. So Javi Baez and Riley Green are the two, and obviously Spencer Torkelson. Not that those guys are going to like suddenly hit like 15 more home runs, but you got to like that regardless. 10 feet is 10 feet. And after this, we can go look up those guys hit like home hit charts from last year and see how many more home runs they would have had because of it. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that gives us an, it'd be yeah, interesting. yeah. But 10 feet is a lot to center field. It's significant. Yeah. It's, it's, that's actually, that's a big move there. Wow. And, move, yeah, and, moving, and moving the fences down, like dropping the height of them, like doubled. So it's like those, like the one, the wall scrapers will go over now. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. It becomes a lot more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of uh, changes, our, our next guy here, Ryan Mountcastle, um, that we each have at, at 13. I mean, we saw how the uh, much the park change there in uh, Baltimore affected him. Um, I do have him 13. I still really do like Mountcastle. You look at his batted ball uh, metrics, put up 61 barrels um, with a 15% barrel rate. And uh, he's going to need it. He's going to need that kind of barrel rate to sustain um, the the power there uh, as a right-handed hitter in, in Camden. Um, I'm banking on the home runs to, uh, to come up a bit um, uh, with like, I, I know that park is still going to take, um, take a few away, but uh, I, I think he is going to just be a solid, I mean, he'll even chip in a few steals as well, four stolen bases in each of the last two seasons. So um I'm kind of right in line with like where Steamer has him with 26 homers, 81 RBI, 44 sorry, four steals, um, 255 average. I think there's a little uh, room for growth there too in the in the batting average. So uh, Malcastle is one that like yeah um, that I, I love falling back on. He's going uh, at 158. I've I've gotten him in in a draft like in that like near his his max at uh, around 170. So uh, yeah, I, I really like Malcastle where he's going. Yeah, see, I find myself just not interested because I tend to take, like I said, I really aim for Rizzo, who, again, goes right before him now, though. But I usually get Rizzo or I usually get Reese Hoskins. Those have been my two guys, even Christian Walker, if he falls in that range, if I miss out on the other two. But I don't know. I just I look at it like this. Mountcastle, fantastic quality of contact. Strong power metrics. He had 609 plate appearances. All of, And, sorry, and a 37.3% ground ball rate. All that. The ideal situation for a power hitter. Just 22 home runs. Um, that's where I get like, how do you get? That's literally the best case scenario. 600 plate appearance season, elevated the ball a ton, great metrics across the board, and still only hit 22 home runs. That's where I'm like, yeah, I have a hard time buying in. Like, I have a hard time just being interested because how much better can it get for him? Are we expecting? Progr- are we expecting the numbers to improve? with possibility of even regression hitting some of these numbers in the process. Like it's a weird, like how much better can he be with this? Even if he repeats these numbers after we saw what these numbers got him last year, that's where I don't know what to expect here. And that's why I'm like a little down on them. And the second half, there were some second half woes that might've actually caused the issue in terms of home runs. If you look at um, the second half for Ryan, Mount, Ryan Mountcastle, he hit too many fly balls. Like he, it was like 10% more. It was almost like 48%, 49%. 
or no, that was sorry. That's the hard hit rate. I'm looking at whatever the, the fly balls increased almost 10% in the, in the second half. You would think that's not a bad thing, but with it, he more than doubled his infield fly ball, rate. The BABIP dipped to 272 and the hard hit rate dipped from 48.9% to 41.8%. So an 8% dip, uh, eight point dip in that percentage right there. So it's almost like he was like just the elevation, trying to keep the ball in the air actually hindered his progress or hindered his success in the second half. So maybe there's some regression there that could help counter what my argument about being down on him. That's like, I did notice that I found something that actually that screwed him a little bit. So Mount Castle, that's the type of thing. It's like, maybe, the, like you said, maybe he does hit more of that projection. And maybe I need to be a little higher on him, but I just, I feel like he's okay. I'm not going out of my way to get him because I really like the, the next guy on my list. Well, and that's the thing, right? Ryan Mountcastle is going 15th right now. And in, in, uh, since December 1st, I'd have, if I look at the last three days, obviously he might've gone up a little bit, but since December 1st, what I'm looking at. And right now the guys ahead of him, Jose Miranda, which I actually, I'm down on Miranda. I actually dropped him down in my lineup. We'll talk about, I think he goes ahead of him though, because he has third base eligibility, but Miranda's guy I have below him in first base ranks Andrew Vaughn. I have ahead of him just like ADP. And I feel like these guys, I'd rather, I rather, I end up with one of these guys before I get to Mount Castle is the problem. Rizzo, I have ahead of him just like ADP. Uh, and that's why I don't end up with Mount Castle. So I'm not really opposed to getting him. And he does fall to a point where it's actually appealing. So that it's just, I haven't ended up with him because I usually address first base before this, but he is a great fallback option. I believe you that. Yeah. Um, Andrew Vaughn, I have a head of, ahead of Mount Castle, or I'm going to, I need to change that. My, my uh, rankings actually, I don't know. I feel like they're very similar. I think Vaughn has uh, my, my look on out, my look on Vaughn entering 2023, knowing his role really should help his mental state a little bit there. Not like having to try to learn a new position or get better in the outfield. Who knows if he's in and out in the lineup every given day. I feel like he was really screwed with his last few first couple of years up there, there in uh, Chicago. Um, yeah. Returning to his natural position at first base is a big deal because now he should be, it should be a level of comfort there. Getting regular playing time. I mentioned uh, was a, he was a bat first prospect, a top prospect of that. So there's pedigree there. He still has strong plate discipline and contact rates. So, uh, decent uh, hard hit numbers and solid max exit velocity. Again, showing po- positive potential for power. Needs to elevate the ball more. That's a big ask. But he is turning 25 this season, so he's entering his prime. And again, goes back to that top prospect pedigree. So I'm kind of banking on just that bat being, since he was bat first prospect, kind of coming alive and producing there. Even if he's not big on the power, I think he could just be kind of like this solid, safe, high floor type. And almost like a Ty France. I feel like, and that's why he goes right around Ty France or a little ahead of him. And that's maybe, and the reason why he gets bumped a little bit in ADP is because he has the alpha, the dual eligibility. So I have him ranked, actually, you're, I, I lied. I have Mount Castle ahead of Vaughn because I do perceive Mount Castle's ceiling to be a little higher. But I think Vaughn is very similar to Ty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I could see that. I, I do have, uh, I do have Rowdy uh, at 14 yeah. ahead of Vaughn I was gonna and Miranda. Bring, I was going to bring Rowdy up next. Yeah, so because <laughs> I, I have like Vaughn, Miranda, Bell, France, and Naylor all in the next tier, and I c- kind of see them all um, similar in the same way I have um, the previous tier with all the power hitters. You kind of have like a little more batting average um, and uh, l- less power in, in this next tier. And I do have Vaughn first um in that tier i have him at 15 so yeah i i really hope that you know him um being able to focus on just one position um can you know really benefit him at the plate um i would like to see him because he's always had that like all fields approach that kind of hinders his power output if he can just pull the ball a little more if he can get closer to like a 40 percent pull rate uh it's been at 35 percent if you can get yeah. closer to like a 40% pull rate, I think you can definitely tap into um, a bit more power. So I would love to see that, especially with uh, his ability to make contact with his you know really good zone contact rate um, and hard hit rate. Um, doesn't strike out too much. So yeah, I, I also, I, I'm with you. I, I really like Vaughn. I do have Vaughn over um, Miranda and uh, Rowdy, just to touch on Rowdy a bit to, to wrap up like those, those power hitters. I mean, uh, I, I've always, I've loved Rowdy and I, I love that. Um, you know, as much as he he's able to barrel up the ball with a 13% barrel rate, he had 53 barrels last year. Um, he, he doesn't strike out a ton. You know, he doesn't strike out too much. He's kept his uh, strikeout rate at about 20% each of the last two years. I, I mean, and he's another one going back to the shift um, that he's going to benefit. He's definitely going to benefit from the 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 shift. Then um, he, I, I, I take taking a look at like all the the pulled grounders he had. Uh, 68 pulled grounders. He went eight for 68. Of those 68, he had 36 hard hit uh, pulled ground balls. So 
And not only did I look at like the uh, BABIP for, for pulled ground balls, but I mean, that BABIP goes up with hard hits. Um, and, and he was one of the leaders there with hard hit pulled grounders. Uh, and he, he was six for 36. And so it, it, in that article, kind of uh, doing the math there um, and, and just giving adjusting his BABIP uh, for the uh, the shift ban, uh, he probably would have hit right around 240 last year with the shift ban as opposed to um, as, as opposed to what was it 219. Uh, and so if he hits 240 last year with 35 homers and, and 89 RBI, I mean, where's he going in drafts today? Uh, he's probably going 30, 40 picks earlier than, than where he's going right now, where he's, he's going 175. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, Rowdy's probably the guy that I'm having the most um, exposure to at, at first base, and especially in this range here as late as he's going. Um, yeah, I think you can, if, if he's going to hit 240 um, with 40 homer upside, I, I will take that from, from Rowdy here uh, at, at this price. Yeah, I tweeted it out pretty much. Uh, if, if a player has a double-digit barrel rate, strong power metrics, like all caps the word strong, strong plate discipline, is left-handed hitter who is set to improve from the shift ban, pulls and elevates the ball, you draft him. And it's uh, Rowdy, that was a Rowdy, a Rowdy Telez tweet. Now, the only red flag, he could platoon because he can't hit left-handed pitching well. But yeah. That's fine. If you're giving me the projection these days, being in a platoon isn't what it used to be because once you get this this late in the draft, it's hard to find a player either a not in a platoon or b a guy who is platooning that like or a guy that isn't platooning that probably should be. You know what I mean? Like just mm-hmm. doesn't like it, the production is almost negative. Plus, right, the strong side exactly. of platoon isn't the strong side of platoon isn't angry, you know, or isn't angry. Sorry, I'm re- I was reading something. <laughs> Strong side of the platoon isn't the end all be all. Don't know why it makes it doesn't make, it shouldn't make you angry. It's probably like you said. <laughs> uh Ty France just kind of we talk about him we kind of have him in this range. I'm just throwing names out there now because it really is pick your poison here because all the names are kind of together. But um oh I'm stretching <laughs> Ty France uh 93% contact rate is absolutely elite high floor production top of the order bat you know what you're getting next uh jose miranda kind of in that same conversation i don't i think there's some power there potential i should say but we haven't really seen we we, we didn't really see it in the metrics i just always we saw a really good contact rate a really good hit tool sub 20 percent k rate but the over aggression at the plate over 50 percent swing rate leads to a lot of probably weaker contact because he's hitting a lot of balls in a lot of places so i think miranda's okay i just i'm just not super interested at I don't know, compared to who's going around him, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. The only reason I don't have – so now I do like that Miranda. He does have that first base, third base eligibility. Yeah. Um, So that kind of pushes him up a little bit for me in drafts, just having that first and third. Well, Um, we're not talking about third base right now. We're talking about first base. Yeah, of course. (laughs) In terms Uh, of first base, I don't like – yeah, I I get it, though. The price makes sense because of that dual eligibility. But anyway. But um, the reason why I'm not going to have too much like Vaughn, Miranda, Ty France is because, man, I'm really loving Josh Naylor. Uh, And I know you're a fan, too. I'm really like Josh Naylor. I was a year at, early. At he, got, he got injured. He got injured the year I was really in on him. <laughs> yeah. Um, Naylor going at 225. Uh, he's another one that was, would have been one of the, will be one of the biggest beneficiaries um, of the shift ban. Despite having fewer than 500 plate appearances, um, he had 498 plate appearances. He was among the leaders in those uh, because he does uh, hit a lot to, he does pull a lot of ground balls. He was one of the leaders in, in pulled ground balls and one of the leaders in hard hit pulled ground balls. Um, and so I will, I would expect his Babbitt to, to increase. And so uh, kind of, you know, applying everything that I had looked at um, with, with the shift, uh, he would have hit a closer to 280 last year. He had a lot of hits taken away um, with the shift, with the shift in place. So he would have hit closer to 280 last year. Um, I, I think he's definitely going to benefit. He'll, like you said, he, it's probably less is more with him as far as like a platoon. Um, if he's not facing as many lefties, I, I think just the the, the boost in, in the batting average is going to be worth it. And so, uh, yeah, I'm really liking Josh Naylor. I, I think he's going to be – he can produce essentially um, the same, like similar to like Ty France and Miranda and, um, you know, these, these guys were looking at, you know, 40, 50 picks, um, going 40, 50 picks earlier – um, so Josh Naylor there at 225. I've loved getting him like as my corner. Um, I don't mind getting him as my first baseman if that's how long I've waited. If I've if I've uh, gotten an advantage like an outfield or or 
pitching or what have you, if I'm strong everywhere else, I don't mind getting Naylor as my first baseman, but I, I've more times than not, I've gotten him as my corner, which, which I really love. So yeah, I'm big Josh Naylor fan this year. I think he's going to um, really benefit from that shift. Ben. Yeah. Naylor's a guy that I actually moved up ahead of Josh Bell or I planned to, cause I was looking, I was writing him down. And I'm like, yeah, cause Josh Bell just, I don't know what happened in the second half. The dude just hits so many ground balls too. He's another guy mm-hmm. that he and the the shift last year in terms of like again just looking at Woba and ex Woba against the shift they were kind of com- comparable so it's like I don't know I don't I don't know what to expect with Josh Bell I I just man I'll take I'll take I'll take not Josh Naylor's upside over him and I feel like but they're in the same conversation you know who's mm-hmm. not in this conversation for me and Josh Naylor's going way later than these guys so that's why it's like it's funny that we're so much higher but you know who's not in this conversation the guy I won't touch in drafts is Joey Menezes I can't say his name Joey Menezes I think is how you say yeah. it right. Um, I can't, I just can't. And I think it's because he's like a 30. It's, it's, it reminds me of, um, what's his face? A, a Schwindel. There's a lot of Schwindel uh-huh. comps in my, in my brain here. And he's a 30 year old that broke out over like a 50 something game sample. He vastly, and we're talking about small samples. It is. Let's take a small sample of a small sample. The dude couldn't hit anything that, or sorry, he hit it. But if you look at the underlying numbers on the, like the, the breaking balls and the, and the off speed pitches, he vastly overperformed against both. And yeah. I think pitchers going to, I think he's going to get figured out. There's a reason why he was a 30 year old in the minor leagues. You know what I mean? Um, that's why I'm like, I'm, I just, I can't have a hard time getting behind that. Just buying into the small sample among other things. I don't know. Am I like, are you in on him? Like, I just, I don't see. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. I don't have any Joey Manessis. I'm probably not going to have any Joey, Joey Manessis. Like you said, he kind of really overperformed there. Um, kind of across the board. Um, uh, which I mean, good, good for him, right? He 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 really came and uh, uh, and broke out last year. But I'm just not buying it going into into um, into next season uh, that he's going to be able to repeat um, or even really come close to like the pace that he was setting with the 13 homers over 240 yeah. plate appearances. I mean, he was able to convert like 17 homer or 17 barrels into 13 homers. Um, and yeah, I'm just I'm just not really buying it. It's it's weird. Like it's just weird because if you look at his minor league track record, if he wasn't 30, I'd be way more encouraged because we saw the power, you know, flash in AAA last year. We saw it, we saw it flash in 2018, and then 2019, 2020, it was not he wasn't even in the league. So I'm like, or I don't know yeah. what happened. I have to go look into what happened because unless did he is he one of those that went across uh went played overseas? I have I have no idea. I just know that from 2018, from 2019, 2020, those those years are gone. Yeah. And maybe but maybe he lost them to the to COVID. Oh, no, not 2019. 2020 would have been the year. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But the minor league track record, there was one. But is, is it also because he was always older for the league? You know, especially in 2021 and even in 2018, he would have been what? What was that? Four years ago already? He would have been tw- like mid mid to, oh, he would have been like 26, 27. Yeah, he was 26 before he hit triple A. Yeah. yeah, so, so he, he should have already. Been, he he was already. Oh, yeah, he was already old for the for the levels. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I I'm willing to be wrong here. He's gonna be 31 before the season starts or right around the season start. I'm just not buying into that type of age 30, 31 breakout. I feel like you get burned more likely than anything else. And a guy mm-hmm. that a guy going after him that I have in my top 20 that I'm actually pretty high on, I guess, compared to the consensus. And I, I wish it was Matt Mervis because Matt Mervis will be in my top 20 if he, if he's even hinted towards breaking camp. Like I'm I have uh, we mentioned Naylor. We both have Naylor in our top 20. He's going outside of top 20 in first base ranks. But I put DJ LeMayhew up there, and I'm not excited. I, I haven't found anything in terms of the suggesting that he won't be healthy for the year, start of the year. So if, if I see something like that, did, did I miss something? I don't know. But uh, the thing is, is the Yankees need a leadoff hitter. He led off the most games for the Yankees last year. I think a healthy DJ LeMayhew leads off for the Yankees. Gives you double-digit home runs. will chip in some steals, 100 runs, good batting average. I, I just think that he's solid, safe, and kind of boring. But the multi-positional eligibility plays a factor in my rankings even though they're not supposed to um they do because first base kind of takes a dip here and i don't want Luis arias i'm afraid of getting burned by seth brown we saw brandon jury come back down to earth in the second half i do like drury though drury is like right there it's between drury and lemayhu for that spot and i'm taking the batting average over what i thought what i think was a fluky power output year for drury and fluky as in i don't expect it to repeat not that it was completely not earned so that's kind of where i'm at why i have dj mayhew cracking my top 20 and i just it's kind of just chasing the leadoff play appearances in new york yeah um for me i, I feel like um after josh after like josh naylor at 225 i i really like taking a chance on um the the two 
high up, like a couple of the high upside prospects that we like, like Miguel Vargas, I, I'm really high on. Um, yeah, I gotta move him up actually because uh, I, I, I have him. I realize I have him on a number of teams as my corner. <laughs> Just be, I think what it is when we did these ranks, I had him lower because I expected the Dodgers to block him and they didn't or they haven't yeah. yet. So I think that's why I need to move him up my rankings. Good call. Yeah, I'm uh, really high on Miguel Vargas. I think he's going to do well there with the Dodgers. Um, they, they've already kind of said that, you know, they plan on him playing just about every day. He's going to move around between second base, third base. Um, so, uh, yeah, re- really like Miguel Vargas. He's also one that can uh, contribute some speed. Had 17 homers, 16 steals uh, last year in AAA um, with uh, – just about as many walks strikeouts had 13.7% a walk rate, 14.6% strikeout rate while hitting 304 there in AAA. So um, yeah, big fan of Miguel Vargas. Like, so like after Josh Naylor, I'm taking a chance on Vargas. I'm taking and a just chance like on, that. Uh, Vargas is in my top 20. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Cause it's like, well, I, I really, I have more Vargas. I have a lot. I have like two out of five teams. I think I have Vargas and I just mm-hmm. always took, I just like the price so much. And um, I, again, I never updated my ranks after, the lack of moves from the Dodgers. So yeah, yeah I and I've got to move. Um, I got to move Mervis up too. I, I'm Mervis. I have. Oh yeah, him and Cassis have to come up. Jeez, yeah, we haven't updated. We did these rankings. We did these like a month or two. It's been over a month since we did our ranks. Yeah, both those guys. I have Mervis and Cassis in that same area. Of like, I want mm-hmm. both of them just for upside because I'm with you. But here's the thing, Seth Brown. I have a hard time. I don't understand what I'm doing with Seth Brown because it's like we saw him put it all together. The second half was really strong, but it's still Seth Brown. He's still batting in the middle of like a really terrible lineup. And he's a guy that right now, where's he going? He's his ADP is, or he's going as a 22nd first baseman off the board. And I feel like that's just appropriate. I just don't know how to feel. He's the, he's actually that 29 year old breakout. The power we know is legit. We know he can hit the pot for the power. No one's really questioning that a 13% barrel rate. So he has good quality contact. 40% mm-hmm. hard hit rate. So it's okay. Not, 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 not special, but not bad. Max exit velocity one uh 112.9 i just don't know i I have a hard time i think it's a swing and miss he improved last year 26 percent carry rate compared to 29 the year before but i just don't know if i'm gonna i mean we're still talking about 13 percent swing strike rate a 32.9 percent chase rate so there's some free swinging there that keeps me apprehensive and yeah but if he's traded if he's traded and hits in a better lineup i'd be i'd be more uh, interested i think i think i like him more as an outfielder anyway just because yeah. outfield gets so bad, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. Like, I feel I feel like he's properly ranked. I've just had a hard time. I kind of move him up and down my ranks because I'm like, I want this upside, but I kind of like. But Seth Brown's kind of interesting, but but I like Torkelson's upside more. And it's like, but Torkelson didn't do anything to prove that he should be drafted. But he's also only like what 23, 22. Like Torkelson's. I love how quick fantasy baseball moves on from. I, I've been guilty of this in the past, so maybe I'm like taking a hard left turn trying to fix this. But Torque is a guy like in the past I would have wrote off after one subpar season. Mm-hmm. But top prospect, like there's no reason why he shouldn't be given an opportunity to improve on last year. It's yeah, I mean, he still he has still some skills that are interesting. Uh um, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, so Brown is one of those next guys that I like as well. Um, like you said, I, he has flashed the, the the power potential before with the barrel rate, good, good hard hit rates. Um, the thing with him is is he has to be platooned, and I would love him to have like a strong side platoon on a, a, a better team in a better park um and he'll even chip in speed i mean he stole 11 bases last year but yeah he had uh 17 home runs on the road 17 <laughs> of his uh 25 home runs they, they came on the road uh so couldn't imagine why yeah <laughs> uh but yeah he is one uh, a lot of pulled uh fly balls uh so he, he does get into um his power uh does does take advantage uh good barrel to home run conversion with with the pulled fly balls but a lot of it is on the road so yeah i would love it if if seth brown got got traded um and then he wasn't like on a strong side platoon like on a better team but yeah he's he's one i like as well for for some power and let's just talk about a couple guys we like late call them sleepers if you will um obviously we can talk about how brandon belt gets a nice little bump from that signing in in toronto i don't think he's gonna i think he's gonna dh a lot in terms of just against righties i don't think he gets the full strong side platoon but if he did it wouldn't surprise me i just think that they're gonna give danny jansen plenty of at bats there but jansen takes the biggest hit from this but brandon belt in toronto you gotta love the landing spot yeah yeah you like the landing spot for sure i mean um you can't can't imagine that they're paying him nine nine million dollars to um you know, just sit on the bench. So I think he's going to DH plenty, at least against right-handers. Um, he's going to DH against right-handers. I, I, I do. I, ah, man, I, 
I don't like that it's going to take away plate appearances from uh, Kirk and Jansen. Um, so that's kind of a bummer that they kind of moved down a little bit. But yeah, Belt, uh, definitely interesting landing spot there in uh, Toronto. And one of my favorites, it's a pirate, so it's gross. And it's, it's old man Carlos <laughs> Carlos Santana. But how do you not look at Santana and think, wow, this like talk about guy who should gain from the shift. The dude's seen like 95% plus shift percentages as when he hits from the left side of the plate. And it's like mm-hmm. every year he's like the Wobas have just been like like 80, 100 points different. Like he should really benefit because it's one of those things where, yeah, he's old, but the dude still has elite plate discipline, hits the ball really hard, pulls the ball a ton. And when he, and he bats as a lefty majority of the time, considering he faces mostly right-handed pitching. He's also going to be batting top of the order or towards the top of the order or maybe in the middle and play every day or most days. So I don't know. I just really like attacking him really late in drafts because I tend to just be able to have him on the bench and utilize him as a CI or utilize as needed in season. I just think he's a really fun old, like uh, one of the, like, talk about the old man breakout or like, Hey, there's one more year left in the tank. Like, you know how Votto did it a couple years back. I feel like Santana has that potential to do it this year. Yeah. That's all. That's all. That's all I was going to say about him. Is there anybody like that for you? That's going like really late that you seem to be really in on right now? Uh, not really. Um... Oh, you're boring. <laughs> no i i'm with you on on santana when i was looking at the uh the whole uh shift stuff i mean yeah he, he's gonna be one that that benefits a bit um let's see uh lamont wade jr i still like going really late he's going around 500 in, in dcs i like that he has that first base outfield um eligibility uh because he's gonna be uh like a strong side platoon i think he's gonna and, and there's a chance that he hits like at the top of the lineup when he starts um so kind of like Lamont Wade there, like in, in I still like him in deeper leagues. Um, I'm not sure how much you brought up Eric Hosmer earlier. I don't know how much he's going to play. How much I do I have to that. put Hosmer on my top 40. <laughs> like, like I have Garrett Cooper there and I'm just, I'm so, I, I was so in on him last year, but Garrett Cooper upsets me. Maybe I need to get rid of Nick Prado. He also was another guy I just liked last year. One of those guys are going to have to go for my top four for Eric Hosmer. Cause as much as I don't like Hosmer, I feel like you have to just take playing time that late. And neither one of neither one of Prado or Cooper. I mean, Prado. I think if there's upside, it would be Nick Prado. It's just one of those things where do we bet on the upside of a Nick Prado over the production of like a floor like Eric Hosmer, which I expect there to be a floor there. I don't know. Yeah, I think um, I think I'd rather have Prado, but it's Garrett Cooper really. I'm like Cooper didn't do it last year. Why am I suddenly going to buy into it? Yeah. No, this is mostly this is like just purely like in draft champions leagues, but. Um, like Yuli Guriel is going at 572. You know, there's probably a good chance that that he um, signed somewhere. Uh, Dominic Smith, uh, he, he was picked up by the Nationals. Um, he, you know, he's had some good potential, uh, flashed some good potential before. Uh, Ryan Noda is interesting with Oakland. Uh, they, I believe they took him in the Rule 5 draft, so he's going to be on the roster. Uh, has re- really good uh, walk rates uh, in, in the minors and, and – uh, good power speed combo so it's going to be interesting to see if he gets any playing time uh so those are a couple those are just a couple of guys uh that i'm looking at late in, in these uh trey mancini i don't think we mentioned him too much it's going to be interesting to see um, where he ends up signing i think he got really unlucky in his time um with uh houston uh, i think he had like a 191 babip um in houston so he got kind of unlucky there he kind of faded at the end of the season so it's going to be interesting to see where he signs uh, but i think that's it as far as first base goes so that's going to do it for first base. We'll revisit it again, I'm sure, before the season starts. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland, George at Roto underscore Nino, and everything that we mentioned at the beginning of the show in the description. Check everything out, all the links, everything you need. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and review on your way out. It's greatly appreciated. And until next time, we'll talk to you all soon.